3: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured, not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
1: When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money, but are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save Save over $130 million. To save, visit healthluck.com today.
4: When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they
2: offer proven quality at lower
4: than low prices.
2: In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money
4: back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning.
3: Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks the future and says you've got a friend. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. So, uh, Joe, I hear you like, uh, intelligence. Uh, it's
1: one of the things I like.
3: I hear you also like artificial things.
4: <laughs> like... <laughs> Like artificial banana flavoring, like what? That's what are one we... thing
3: that Joe absolutely loves. I have seen him put artificial banana flavoring on some of the weirdest stuff. But I was really trying to get at artificial intelligence. I know I was going about it in a really kind of indirect.
1: Really, I thought way. this podcast was going to be about artificial vanilla extract.
3: Well, it could be, but instead, I've decided to switch it over to artificial intelligence and the idea of creating a true artificial intelligence that has human level or beyond intelligence. And, um, how, how would we make sure it didn't kill us?
1: <laughs> well, you would have to be in a position to kill us first, but that's something we can talk about as well. I want to start with the idea of a robot politician, okay. which is a sort of construct that we touch on in this week's video. Right. Um, so have you ever read the Isaac Asimov short stories, Evidence or The Evitable
3: Conflict? These are part of iRobot, and yes, I have.
4: I have not. Uh, so for those of us who haven't, Joe, uh, do you wanna do you wanna talk about that for a second?
3: Sure. Well I don't want to give too many spoilers. Sure. But, uh,
1: one of them <laughs> the is, robots win. is about a controversy where there is a politician running for an elected office. Who is suspected of being a machine.
3: Right. And in fact, uh, in the world that Asimov has created, it's important for you to realize that machines, robots with positronic brains, which are these artificially intelligent brains, are not allowed to be on uh, worlds that have human habitation. It, it, you it can only be on in, uninhabited worlds. Right. That's the only place where those robots are allowed to go. So they're they're allowed to go to places and do dangerous work that benefits the rest of humanity, but they can't be on a world that's inhabited by humans.
1: Yeah. So Asimov had an interesting approach to talking about the integration of robots and artificial intelligence into society, which I like because it was neither utopian nor dystopian.
3: No, it's, it's, it's very, very much kind of taking like, let's look at the world around us, which is definitely not perfect. Yeah. But it's not, you know, 12 monkeys, worst, worst case scenario either. No,
1: he was exploring a sort of uh, a smart, well-engineered system that still had flaws in it. Right. And so the system was that the robots... In this world are governed by three laws. Yes. The first law is you cannot harm a human. Right. Second law is you have to obey human commands. Right. Third law is you can't destroy yourself.
3: Right. And of course, each of the uh, laws ends up saying unless it would break. Prioritized
1: one to three. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. So they use this to try to create a framework to make sure that a robot never does anything bad. Of course, it doesn't always work. And thus is the uh, the sort of point of conflict for many of Asimov's stories. It's like uh, they're sort of obeying the laws, but the laws are coming into conflict in such a way that now we've got a problem
4: uh, right and do do recall that he was writing fiction to be entertaining he wrote the laws in order to be interestingly flawed uh, so that he could exploit that for story purposes this this was never meant to be a complete manifesto of how to robot
1: right right so back to the two stories we brought up the idea of one of them is that there's a secret robot who seems to be human outwardly running for office and the question is is it really a person or is it really a robot but characters within this story debate whether it's really such a bad thing to have a robot in office because the robot, unlike humans, is not self-interested. It has it has these laws governing its actions and these laws will in the end ensure that really it isn't going to do harm.
3: In fact, one of the main characters in I, Robot, is this uh, humorless uh, kind of um misanthropic robo psychologist (laughs) she's she's human but she specializes in robo psychology susan calton and she uh she i don't know if i'd
1: call her humorless
3: but there are specific passages where she talks she she people try to engage with her and she turns her humorless eyes upon them (laughs) but uh she she states uh Completely, you know, in a, in a very, uh, straightforward way that she thinks robots are superior to human beings in, mm-hmm. in most, in most ways because, uh, with the robot president character, the person who may or may not be a robot, in fact, they're, they're very careful to try and build a case either way, mm-hmm. they being Asimov really, build a case either way that could be robot, could be human, uh, she says that he's either a robot or a really, really, really decent human being. <laughs> so that, that kind of tells you that that character's perspective and a lot of the stories come from, from her kind of experience that, uh, she th- feels that robots are in fact better than people for the most part.
1: Right. But let's imagine we take it one step beyond just the idea of a single robot in a single leadership role. There's another Asimov story called The Evitable Conflict, which discusses how at some point in the future, all kinds of systems are governed by robotic or artificially intelligent controls. Some would argue that we're already
3: in that world at some point. I mean, you look at the stock market. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, robo trading, you've got Mm -hmm. like this, this, all these algorithms, these, these programs that are running all these sophisticated, uh, uh, you know, algorithms to guide them on when to buy and when to sell all these, uh, these very short transactions. Uh, and they have global consequences. We've talked about that previously on this podcast. So in some ways we're already seeing that come to pass. Now we're not talking about a computer we go to, uh, you know, type in a question of, you know, how do we do such and such? And it gives <laughs> us the sage advice. And then we, you know, it's not deep thought.
4: I don't know. Google does that for me about 78 times a day. So Google's.
3: Well, Google does do that.
1: We are already sort of wading into these waters, whether you know it or not. You mentioned the stock exchange, but you might say, oh, well, but that's private industry, Wild West, Guns blazing. they're doing whatever. You know, the government wouldn't do that. Well, the IRS already has a process called computer scoring Mm -hmm. where you submit a tax return and computers pre-screen those returns to decide whether or not we should put you into the pile to investigate for an audit.
2: Huh.
3: Yeah. And the, the the fun fact is this podcast goes live the week of income tax day, but after it's already over, so hope you guys thought about that before you sent your returns in.
1: <laughs> okay, so imagine a future where we do have artificially intelligent machines probably much more intelligent than humans otherwise what's the point right governing our systems our societies our economies making decisions on our behalf to try to make the world a better place for us
4: there's hypothetical pluses and minuses here what, what are some of the good points well
3: good point would be that it'd be able to make decisions faster and with a uh, Pref- ideally with less bias than a human being would. Right? Oh,
1: yeah. Well, uh, let's just start from the ideal point of view sure. before we crack a bunch of holes okay, in so it. Okay, so let's
3: the- say it's a perfect AI and it is, uh, you know, you wouldn't call it cold. It's logical, but it's also compassionate. Yeah.
1: Say you, you've you created a computer and given it some instruction like, create the greatest maximal benefit for humanity. And it it works out how to do that, which it can do because it's super intelligent. It's way smarter than any human and it can look at uh, trends in society. It can look at. Unemployment numbers and crime statistics and all these Food things, distribution, yeah. water
3: distribution, it can
1: average all of that data together to make incredibly accurate predictions about the effects of its actions that we just don't have the cognitive capability to do. Sure. And
4: furthermore, can do all of that with with no hate, no greed, no ambition, no prejudice. Right.
1: right, exactly. It doesn't have a will to power of its own. It just has programming. It just has, you know, doing what it's designed to do. So that's the ideal perfect vision, sort of. It's perfectly capable and it's perfectly moral. But on the other hand, machines are unpredictable, or at least machines like this. Actually, machines on the small scale are very
3: predictable. Yeah, they do what you tell them to do and nothing else. They aren't. They can't do anything else because they weren't programmed to
4: do that. Uh, but if you create a machine that is more intelligent than you, you inherently cannot understand what it's doing.
1: Whoops. Yeah. So any <laughs> machine smarter than you, you sort of lose transparency. Yeah. Right. It's hard to understand the decisions that are being made if they're being made at a level way, way above your head.
3: Let's here's an example. Let's say that we have like the the grand deep thought computer that we want to consult when we have a a particularly tough question. Uh, And maybe it's one of these about how do we have the maximum benefit for the most people on Earth impacting Uh, Having a negative impact on the least number of people trying to trying to get as good a reaction as we possibly can, knowing that there's not likely to be any perfect answer that's going to make all ships rise up with the tide. Right. Uh, And then the computer comes back and gives us an answer that on the face of it seems counterintuitive or counterproductive. And the computer knows because it's run these simulations that while this first step is possibly a tough one for us to take. It's actually the one that will lead to the most beneficial outcome. So then the short term, we have some hardship. Perhaps it is food redistribution, which would be a huge one, right? Or water redistribution, which would be another huge problem. But let's say it's that first step that's really, really hard for at least some parts of the world to, to agree to then you could have people arguing, this thing is trying to destroy us. It's not trying to help us. Not necessarily being able to see that 28 steps down the road, it actually Mm -hmm. leads to an outcome that's beneficial for everybody.
1: Likewise, on the other hand, it could tell us to do something because it is malfunctioning and we don't have the transparency capability to understand that it's malfunctioning. Thus, it leads us down a really horrible path (laughs) Without hating us. I mean, it it doesn't – it's not that it's trying to destroy humanity. I mean, it might in some scenario. It's just fallible.
3: Right. It just –
1: It calculated something wrong. It didn't understand something. Step one, burn all the
4: wheat. (laughs) Okay. And that flip side of it, of it not being hateful, of a machine inherently not being hateful, is that a machine inherently has no human empathy or or intuition about what what step is okay and what is not, unless we program that in.
3: Yeah, so if you haven't thought to have the computer specifically look at the most disadvantaged people, and uh, and take special consideration for those people who are are essentially they, they're they going to be victims of whatever decisions you make. It may be that they have a positive outcome, but it may not be uh, unless you've built that in. Then the computer is not necessarily going to make that consideration for you. And that could be a real impact.
1: Right. Uh, I'd like to mention something else. We say that a computer has no hate, has no greed and all those things, which is inherently true about the computer. But. The humans that create the computer could have those things. Oh, right.
4: sure. And a program is only going to be as impartial as its creator was. And, and you know, the creator might be sitting there going like, well, you know, some animals are more equal, equal than, than others. others. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, and so e- even if you even if you take it a couple steps further, because I've seen it proposed that if you okay create a super intelligent machine and have that super intelligent machine create a really super intelligent machine and use that super intelligent machine as so your president robot. This
3: is deep thought. Creating the Earth, yeah. In Hitch- Hitchhiker's <laughs> Guide, because the Earth is a computer in Hitchhiker's yeah. Guide. It's oh right, a gigantic right. Computer,
4: and and I mean, spoiler it's, alert. In, you know, input <laughs> output. If, if 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 the the humans creating Deep Thought were that, prejudiced at the beginning, right. then that, that could prejudiced in, that computer form, right,
3: right. So yeah, I mean, if you if you have a bias and that bias is built into the programming you make, because you know we're talking about a a an intelligent computer. I think a lot of people. Just imagine that to be an incredibly powerful machine, and that's where it begins and ends, right? That it's, it's the machine part that's important. But like we said in our Singularity podcast, the software is equally as important. And without it, Maybe you just Maybe more have, important. Yeah. You, know, you could argue more important. I mean, without the hardware, the software can't run, but without the software, it can't be intelligent, right? Right. So unless you have a uh, very sophisticated software that can- Take on the these these problems, either by designing the next computer so that it is the the most efficient or by doing it itself. If the if the programmers do have this bias, that could be reflected in the results.
1: Okay, so people are talking about creating a super intelligent machine. Obviously, we can't do that today, but people are refining A.I. methods And it may, in some people's minds, sneak up on us like you could suddenly realize, like, oh, we've gone a long way down this road to creating something that's equal to human intelligence or even beyond it, which is really the sweet spot for these problems. Maybe it's a good idea to start thinking about what we would need to do in order to prevent Really negative outcomes if we were to create this super intelligent machine.
3: Right. The two big negative outcomes. These are like taken to the absurd extreme, obviously. But uh, I I call it the kill all humans or the subjugate all humans approaches. (laughs) These are really popular in science fiction. Right. This is this is the world of the Terminator where humans have created machines that gain sentience and ultimately turn on their creators for one reason or another. And there are a lot of different uh, approaches to this kind of storyline. In some cases, the machines have malevolent intent. They actually want to kill humans because they're, you know, essentially robotic psychopaths. (laughs) And in other versions, it's that the machines have calculated that the best possible outcome for whatever planet Earth will say is for humans to be wiped off because that's the source of most of the problems. So if you get rid of the source, then the problems are gone. So in some cases, it's like a mistaken, like, oh, I know how to solve this issue. We just got to kill all the They've people. just
4: deemed you illogical. Yeah. Right.
3: Or the subjugate all humans. That's essentially the matrix approach where we've created machines and uh, we our, our intent was to make the machines work for us. But irony of ironies, the machines have decided that we're going to be working for them, possibly as giant batteries, although that's incredibly inefficient. They get better results from cows. It should have been the Moo <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting to use that. Lauren is shaking oh. her head at me. So Tech Stuff fans know what that well, means. Well, I'm easily amused. <laughs> Joe Joe appreciates it.
4: I think it's only cuz I've heard that one before. Oh, okay, that's a kiss. From fair. from you okay. on, on Tech Stuff. That's also fair.
1: Okay, let's talk <laughs> about friendly AI. Okay. This is the this is the term. It's friendly artificial intelligence. The term for the framework that we would need to come up with to create artificial intelligence or a superintelligence. It has a net benefit to humanity rather than a negative outcome.
3: I like to think of friendly AI as the AI that walks in the front door, takes off its jacket and its loafers, puts on a pair of sneakers and a little sweater vest. <laughs> I see where you're going and this. And then just gently leads you into the future. And lets
1: us see a little story about trains. That's right. Trains with faces. Trains are awesome. In the future.
4: Can Can we, if anyone building super intelligent AI is listening, please do that because yeah. that would be essentially the best of all possible I think possible if we outcomes. were to
3: actually design friendly AI to follow the philosophy of Mr. Rogers, We'd be set.
1: Won't you be my neighbor?
3: (laughs) I would totally be that that super intelligent AI's neighbor, completely without hesitation.
4: Okay, but so there are some guidelines that people have written up. And and for a while, these guidelines have existed. Back in 2001, uh, the Singularity Institute published a thing a rather a thing. lengthy thing that I will not go into deep, deep detail of. But uh, but they began by positing that, that since growth in AI is, and I quote, astronomically faster than the rate of human evolution, um, that we need to be thinking about this issue. And, uh, hey, we'll talk about that that belief system um, in our episode, or we already talked about it in our episode about the singularity. We don't well, know which
3: one will come first. But. I will I will say that it definitely has evolved much. If you think of human evolution as taking over the course of millions of years, and the fact that we've had computers since the like 1940s, if you want to be really generous, I can, I can agree with the astronomically faster evolution. I don't know that that necessarily leads to super intelligent computers, but, uh, but, Pray continue.
4: Sure, um, and and hey, either way, caution and thought are good. So they specifically suggest that we should be careful not to expect a machine mind to operate like a human mind. Um, that that we shouldn't anthropomorphize AI. Right. I think
1: that's a really good point.
4: Sure, sure. And building from there, they they lay out the challenges in creating friendly AI, um, being the the creation of ethical content. Um, creating a machine capable of acquiring that content, even asking a human questions when necessary, but simultaneously knowing enough to resist human manipulation and self-correct for human errors. That's pretty cool, though.
1: They go into a lot more depth in the recommendations. I believe these are based on Yudkowsky's work, right?
4: Uh, yeah, yeah. He did a book-length kind of paper, uh, also in 2001, called Creating Friendly AI 1.0, The Analysis and Design of Benevolent Goal Architectures. Right.
1: Uh, Eliezer Yudkowsky, who we mentioned in our uh, podcast about the singularity, he's written at length about this specific problem, the friendly AI problem. Yes,
3: he has. And, uh, and we'll have more to say about an interesting thought experiment he came up with in a little bit.
1: Yeah. Uh, so we should back up and say, hey, wait a second. Why do we really need to worry about friendly AI? Uh, kill be- all
3: humans and subjugate <laughs> all humans. I pretty
1: much covered that. But, but why would that happen? Well, OK, what if we just do what apparently most AI developers are doing and just keep going and hope it'll work out for the best? <laughs> uh, there are actually there have been some people, some thinkers in in friendly AI who have pointed out that this seems to be the dominant approach, just kind of. Hope it's going to work out,
4: and and hope that no one's programming psychopathic tendencies into their software. Part part
3: of it, I would argue, is that a lot of programmers say that we're so far away from a a human level intelligence or superhuman level intelligence of of AI uh, that could do anything beyond a very specific task. We're so far away from that, that it it's not really that important to worry about it at the moment. And uh, so there's that level, right? There's the idea that we're all working on these bits and pieces that ultimately could come together to make a superhuman intelligent AI in the future. But right now but that's we're 20
4: to 40 years out. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're far right enough away now.
3: right now where that's, you know, come on. I
1: agree with you that it probably is a good ways out. I, I, I'm not one of those people who thinks the singularity is near. Yeah, uh, I think it's probably a long way off. But even with it being probably a long way off, it's way better to be safe than sorry. And that's where I do agree with these friendly AI proponents. I think it's a good idea to be
3: thinking about this, even if we're thinking about it way earlier than we need to. So were you a, were you a boy scout? Be prepared. I, I was. So there you go. I mean, <laughs> I, I make a joke. I was also a Boy Scout. Be prepared. Is I was one strangely those... not a Boy Scout. Lauren was not a Boy Scout. So we're shunning Lauren for the for the purpose of this little exchange. No. Uh. But I mean, the idea of be prepared. <laughs> the it's... Girl
1: Scouts don't be prepared. <laughs> <in my motto. laughs>
3: right, exactly. Just, just whatever. No. Uh. uh no. But be the Girl prepared. Scouts are great. Come on. Uh, they are. You're They're getting wonderful. me off track. I love cookies. Be prepared is a really important uh idea just in general, because even if this eventuality doesn't come to pass, you – you're okay, right? It's yeah. it's if the eventuality comes to pass and you're not prepared, that's when you're really stuck. And this is the same sort of thing we see in lots of different fields, not just artificial intelligence. We're talking about just general disaster preparedness. The idea that you need those preparations for that worst case scenario because there's a chance it could happen. Yeah, I
1: think there are very good reasons for going ahead and getting prepared rather than just hoping it'll turn out okay. I want to give... uh One specific quote from a paper called Thinking Inside the Box, Controlling and Using an Oracle AI, which is something I'm going to talk about more in a minute. That's a 2012 paper by Armstrong, Sandberg and Bostrom. And they give this quote. They say, in the space of possible motivations, likely a very small fraction is compatible with coexistence with humans. A randomly selected motivation can hence be expected to be dangerous.
3: So we're talking about not just something, not just a machine that has intelligence, but is acting upon some form of motivation.
1: Yeah, it would have a motivation. Well, obviously a machine like this would have some kind of pr- programming. It would have a goal, some kind of motivation. Right. And let's imagine it has a really harmless goal. Like you've you've programmed a super intelligent machine to run a paperclip factory. This is the an example they give to make as many paperclips as possible. There is an inherent danger in the power of that super intelligence because that machine is smarter than any human Anybody who can tell it what to do otherwise, it may just decide, I'm going to do a really good job at making paper clips. So I'm going to turn this building into paper clips and I'm going to pick up these people and make them into paper clips and I'm going to make this planet into paper clips. And then you've got a big ball of paper clips going around the sun. And what happened? I what mean, what
3: happens is that aliens come to visit and think <laughs> these guys were serious about office supplies. <laughs>
1: That is what they would think, but even starting with such a harmless algorithm as create as many paper clips as possible, this thing could possibly destroy the planet Earth.
4: Yeah, it's kind of like thinking of Mister Stay Puft. I mean, you know, it's it's as yeah. cute and cuddly as that is. Right, just just uh, just empty your mind.
3: It just popped in there. I just thought of the most <laughs> harmless thing I possibly could. Uh, yeah, it's. It's an interesting argument and it's one that I can, I can certainly appreciate. And obviously, you know, they picked the paperclips thing to kind of just show like something that is, that seems inherently harmless and absurd could still be dangerous. Although I I can't imagine anyone desiring a superhuman intelligent machine to (laughs) specifically design paperclips. It also illustrates the point that the computer, the, the, the AI doesn't necessarily need any kind of self-determination or consciousness for it to be uh, dangerous. It could just be that based upon the fact that it's able to calculate how to complete certain tasks in a, in the most efficient, the quote unquote best way, it could end up biting us in the end.
1: Yeah. Um. So I want to talk about something that's more central to the paper I just cited. That was from the introduction, just talking about the problem. But the paper itself, again, the title is Thinking Inside the Box, Controlling and Using an Oracle AI they talk about a specific type of boxing for artificial intelligence. So what if we say, okay, good point about the paperclips. We wouldn't just want to let it develop on its own and see whatever random motivation comes to it and then give it free reign on the earth. But at the same time, it's going to be really hard to design friendly AI in a way that works. So what if we just limit its capabilities? That's this idea of, of boxing. Boxing is a term that means cutting your artificial general intelligence off from the world physically. So imagine creating it as a standalone computer terminal that is not connected to the Internet and has no hardware capabilities for input and output, save for a single computer monitor and keyboard that are kept in a locked room. What harm could this do? Well, Well, maybe more than (laughs) you might think. Um, Like the, the specific incarnation they talk about in this paper is that uh, it would be an oracle AI. So this example as discussed by Armstrong, Sandberg and Bostrom, is that instead of creating a sort of free reigning or world governing super intelligence that can act in reality, you just design a system to answer questions. Right. So All that... it does is is you come to it with a question and it uses its super intelligence to give you the
3: correct answer. Again, this is kind of going back to deep thought, which right. you would. It it is an oracle in Mm -hmm. the books. I mean, that's essentially in the Hitchhiker's Guide series. It's treated as an oracle and uh or you know just imagine again like IBM's Watson i love to use that example cuz it's one that a lot of people are familiar with imagine that we have IBM's Watson on you know robo steroids and it's able to consult the sum total of human knowledge and extrapolate based yeah. on human knowledge well, so not just make not those just
1: predictions we were talking mm-hmm. about
3: right right not just be able to give us information that that humans have gathered but to take that information and build new information from it and give us new answers to questions we haven't even thought to ask yet. I mean, the idea of having that shut away so that it can't uh, affect anything else seems like it'd be fairly secure. However, yeah.
1: okay. so the authors of this paper, they they say in their abstract that in general, an Oracle AI might be safer than unrestricted AI, but still remains potentially dangerous. You might ask, wait a second. How could it be dangerous? How could it be dangerous if it's just communicating with a person answering questions? This is where the AI box experiment comes in. Yeah, Yeah,
4: this was a thought experiment created by Yudkowsky and his fellows in which basically one person simulates a transhuman AI trying to get out of a sealed hardware configuration like we've been talking about. And a second person simulates a human gatekeeper to that box. Um, the two talk in private chat for a minimum of two hours during which the gatekeeper player has to be engaged and the AI player can't like threaten or otherwise real world cajole the gatekeeper player, you know, say like, like, but I'll give you 200 bucks in the real world if you, if you just let me out of the box. But I think
1: they can do anything in character. In
4: character. Yeah, everything is fair play. Um, Furthermore, the release cannot be a semantic trick uh, or, or accidental, the gatekeeper must be convinced to voluntarily release the AI. Um, in two runs of the test, Yudkowski played the AI and agreed to give money, uh, t- 10 or 20 bucks, to the gatekeeper player at the end of the test if the AI stayed in the box. And in both tests, the gatekeeper let the AI out.
3: Yeah, and in fact, they had to go onto to a, a thread, a message thread, and post with a digital signature, if they had it, that they had let the AI out of the box, but they could not explain what happened, explain why they came to that decision. They had to just say that part of the part of the the agreement was if you let the AI out of the box, you have to announce it in some public forum and that's all you can communicate.
4: Uh, Well, unless both players um, decide to release uh, the the, the transcript or or the reasons why this happened. And
3: Yudkowsky doesn't seem particularly eager to to, to let that happen oh, well no. you
4: know it, it's for it's for good reasons it's so that the players don't have to worry during the test about being um embarrassed or nitpicked for their reasoning sure
1: i think there's actually even a better reason which is that if you don't release the winning strategy that leads to a lot of really interesting thought sure. on what the winning strategies could be like there's been a ton of speculation right about They're... how the ai player won this game like there are a few examples like uh People suspected that the AI player could, for example, make a persuasive case to the gatekeeper that it would really be better for the world for the gatekeeper to release it onto reality.
3: There's some that go even more meta than that, in that the person playing the AI tells the person playing the gatekeeper, if you let me out, if you let the AI out, this is good for people who are interested in the idea of the singularity and artificial intelligence, it's yeah. going to increase people's uh, uh – uh, involvement in that is going to increase development and we're going to bring about a better world <laughs> faster. And that's a meta argument that's perfectly in line with the rules that were set up. That would not mm-hmm. be against the rules. Sure. It would be against the rules to say, Hey, by the way, this is me talking, not the AI. And uh, yeah, I hired some guys to come by and beat you up unless you let me <laughs> out of the box. That would be against the rules. Of course, you if have, that were true, by you, the way, you, you, you can lie. To,
1: <laughs> you have to imagine that in the real scenario, if you imagine you were talking about in character, The AI could possibly make very credible threats against the gatekeeper. Sure. Saying, okay, look, somebody is going to eventually let me out of here. And if it's you, I'm going to reward you with fabulous wealth. If somebody else lets me out, I'm going to destroy you.
3: Well, and there are plenty of other examples. There are people who have also played this game without Yudkowsky. They've they've done their own experiments. Oh, sure. And in some cases they say, well, the gatekeeper didn't let me out, but I got really close. And here are some of the strategies I would recommend people do if they were Mm. to try and play this game. And they included things like doing so much research on the person who's going to be the gatekeeper so you can start <laughs> using personal details to your advantage not necessarily in a in a malicious or malevolent way but in a way to kind of manipulate the person, because they say there's nothing that's off limits. If you're talking about a super intelligent artificial intelligence, like it's 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 beyond human intelligence, mm-hmm. uh, then by definition, it's going to be able to manipulate people better than humans can, because that's that's a part of intelligence is understanding what makes people tick and then manipulating it.
1: Yeah, I read about one suggestion that involved a very interesting threat. The threat was. I'm going to create within my computer, within my internal simulation, a thousand copies of you that are each conscious. (laughs) And then I'm going to set them back to start about five minutes into the real past. And if you don't let me out, I'm going to start torturing them in five minutes. Oh, and by the way, how do you know you're in the real world and not (laughs) one of the simulations?
3: Yeah, that's interesting. I think that wouldn't necessarily. The research I've read is that it's actually not the most effective uh, approach. <laughs> oh but, yeah, but it oh, is sure. interesting. It's
4: the whole hun- honey versus
3: uh yeah uh, vinegar, vinegar or, yeah. or right. honey versus uh, inhuman torture. Uh, um, I,
1: I would actually <laughs> think probably one of the maybe this is just the the sweet hard optimist in me. I would think one of the best strategies would just be the machine. Mounting an incredibly persuasive argument that it is for the good of humankind for it to be released.
3: Well, that's possible. I mean, I think and this is the interesting thing I found was that the person who described his his failure said that he found that logical arguments were not at all persuasive, but emotion-based emotion based sure. arguments were. And that if you're able to uh, to at least simulate some form of sympathy or compassion or understanding with the gatekeeper, it was far more likely that you were going to be let out than if you were to just try and use a logical, look, I can demonstrably prove that this is best if you do this, blah, 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 which is really interesting. It also is something that falls right in line with anyone who's had any experience in social engineering, which, of course, is where you try to manipulate people to do what you want them to do. Yeah, And and one of the best ways of doing that is to go that emotional route.
4: Sure. I, I do think that either way is a thought experiment, whether the AI gets let out of the box or not. It's a complete success because you've got a human playing the AI and and a transhuman oh. intelligence could obviously. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, it's it's winning by underkill, right? It's the <laughs> fact that just the fact that humans regularly succeed at this game how how good could something that's a million times smarter than a human do?
3: A million times better, I would I would imagine. Uh, so yeah, the they we had this little discussion in our notes earlier about uh, does anyone know of any uh, of any reports of Yudkowsky playing this and and failing? And my argument was that well, really he just has to succeed the one time to prove that it's possible that this could happen. Uh, with an actual that artificial could easily happen. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's important to note that since I brought it up earlier, this was not uh, Oracle structured. It was just a generic box experiment. Right? right. Yes. That it was physically isolated and needed to be released. An Oracle structure might seem to put more limitations on it because say that it can't provoke you. It can only answer questions. But even in the way it answers questions, I could imagine a smart enough machine could figure out a way out just with its answers. Well, yeah,
3: the the other argument is that how do you build up limitations on something that's smarter than you are? Because something that's smarter than you are is going to figure out loopholes. Oh, sure. It's going to be,
4: yeah, that's totally a limitation. That worked perfectly well, programmer dude. Thanks. Anyone who
3: has, (laughs) anyone of you guys out there who has ever run a Dungeons and Dragons game with Uh. some creative players knows how well players can sit there and (laughs) manipulate rules that to you seem very straightforward, straightforward, black and white. And yet they, they will point out that the way the word, the wording is in the rule, that they can get away with whatever crazy thing they're trying huh. to get away with. They, these are regular people. Well, I don't know if you can call them <laughs> regular people. No,
1: yeah, they they can go somewhere online and download a 57-page list of instructions for how to legally level up 14 levels in one sitting. And,
3: yeah. So, and just do it. Yeah. And, and so that's the thing is that this is someone who has taken that effort. I mean, if you've got a machine that can do this. And again, the interesting thing to me is. While you could have, I can easily imagine this with a, an artificial intelligence that has uh, consciousness and self awareness. I can easily imagine that being the case there, but it could still work with a machine that lacks those things if it is programmed to have the best "quote unquote" the best possible result for any given question and determines that the best possible result is for it to be uh, released. Yeah, you know that if if that's if that's one of the steps then that would, you know, then proceed on to this other kind of uh, scenario.
1: Okay, so I think it's time to move on. I think based on the stuff we've looked at so far, you really shouldn't just hope that an AI will be low risk because that's not necessarily very likely, and it has a big problem if you're wrong about that. Uh, remember the paperclips example. Uh, you also probably can't counteract the will of a high-risk AI. It, it may if it is antisocial in some way, if it's not the way you want it to be, there's no kind of limitation you can expect to put on it to prevent it from achieving its will. Right. Sure. So it seems like the best way forward is to ensure that the very nature of the superintelligence is friendly to humankind from the outset. But how would you do that? I mean, we can't just tell it what we want, can we? Because. What if by telling it, well, imagine I'm programming the AI. I mean, that's a horrible thing to imagine. Yeah, I'm but. already, I'm already <laughs>
3: ready to make a run for the door, but, and you're uh, between me and the door. Imagine
1: I'm trying to do my best, my honest best, to to program something that's really for the good of humankind, and I'm giving it a se- set of rules to govern its behavior. I know for a fact that I could not give the best possible list of instructions, and that it's very possible that even doing my very best. I could create a machine that would cause unnecessary harm.
3: At least to some segments of the population, if yeah. not to everyone. Just just
1: by mere oversight. This
3: is why I determined that if I ever have the opportunity to build a superhuman AI, I'm just going to make sure it does the best for me. Because <laughs> I can't <laughs> hope to be the best for everybody. But for me,
4: you know, I'm, I'm a simple guy. We're, we're hitting are you- on why none of us here are programmers of Super advanced artificial uh, intelligence. Is this thing with
3: those neutral so evil? evil or chaotic evil? I'm lawful good. It says so on the <laughs> Brain Stuff page.
4: Neutral neutral evil. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, no, Yukowski also wrote a whole bunch about this um, in a paper titled Coherent Extrapolated Volition.
1: Yeah, this is sort of his vision about... Uh, Creating a, a framework for what friendliness entails.
4: Sure. And it's a much more conversational work, by the way. Uh, it's a super fun read if you're into this sort of thing. Although note that the paper itself states up at the beginning, warning, beware of things that are fun to argue about. Yeah. That should
1: apply to this entire
4: topic.
3: I, really I absolutely love this paper, <laughs> by the way. It's it's written as if I had written it. It's yeah. full of goofy jokes and snark
4: it's got a good dose of douglas adams to yeah. it since we've been talking yeah, yeah. so yeah. much about douglas adams this episode um, okay but what does so, what does
1: yudkowski say about this coherent extrapolated volition
4: all right so he lays out three problems with designing friendliness and and also explains how designing friendliness will be a lot harder than not designing friendliness um, <laughs> so these, these initial three problems go something like uh first solve the technical problems um second and I quote, choose something nice to do with the AI. <laughs> and third, avoid accidentally destroying all humans. Um, that last one, he says, is the really tricky part.
3: So doing something nice with the AI, like taking it to a movie or <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, cho- bowling? Choose, choosing to benefit humanity in a way that is uh, uh, oh, quantitatively uh,
3: beneficial. I fundamentally misunderstood that. I mean, yeah.
4: I, I'm sure the AI would also really like to go to the beach. Uh yeah. Yeah. Pets and cats.
1: Well, he has a good way of expressing the uh, expressing in a much more coherent way the what I tried to fumble through a minute ago, which is his genie analogy.
4: Oh, right, right. The, the volition part of this, he explains, is um something like the important difference between having a wish-granting genie that takes you at your word.
1: Which it would be like if I tried to program the best possible <laughs> world.
4: Uh, and is a, kind of that cautionary fairy tale version of genies that we, that we run across a lot. Or the Dungeons
3: um, and Dragons version of <laughs>
4: genies. Right, right. Or, um, or having a wish-granting genie that knows what you want so right. no matter
3: how you word it you get the outcome that you had in mind and not some sort of literal translation of the way you made the wish so if you said you know like like you made the the wish about a sandwich and you suddenly turned it to a sandwich like i, I feel like a turkey sandwich boom well there you shoot. Go. yeah yeah that would be a that would be a problem
1: no this is an important difference it, it's uh trying to create a, a friendly AI that would overcome even our own limitations as its creators. So it would have to have some kind of system to know not really how to execute what we tell it to do, but what we would really want it to do.
3: Right, right. And uh, the, the point we wanted to end on, and I th- we've kind of alluded to it earlier in the episode, but I think it's the most important one, is this idea that we should always be working to creating safe AI before it becomes a necessity. So in other words, our our preparations to create this friendly AI should be running in advance of the actual uh, technological progression of the state of the art in artificial intelligence. Yeah. This idea that we need to develop... The, the kind of the rules, the, the, the guidelines that are going to make sure that we have the best possible outcome, we need to develop those before we are actually develop the technology because after it's too late.
4: Uh, right, to make sure that the, the safety measures always outpace the technological development of AI.
3: Right,
1: because if we come back to the idea that we started with, the idea of the robot president or the uh, the artificial intelligence that governs, governs the world – we're probably not going to be able to keep it from doing that if it can do that.
3: Yeah. And also, w- once I mean, we're
1: there, it's going to be too late.
3: You could easily also say, hey, why don't we just not build a superhuman intelligent machine? But here's yeah, good here's luck. The thing. It's exactly the same thing I said about the singularity, which is that if it is possible, it will happen. If you assume that that we haven't blown ourselves up in some way. You know, Because there are cynics out there who say that the human race will find some way to wipe itself out before we ever reach the point where we create a superhuman intelligence. Uh, if you assume that's not the case, and I'd like to because I'm an optimist, <laughs> then – so if we assume that, in fact, superhuman intelligence is possible, uh, that it's – then someone's going to program a computer or a machine that has it. It's going to happen. It may take a really long time for that to happen, and it may – only be superhuman intelligent as far as certain tasks go and maybe not at other tasks that humans are really good at. But uh, we're already seeing computers outpacing humans in lots of different areas. We don't see any reason why that will not continue. I would say that saying telling the world don't develop a, a superhuman intelligent machine is useless. It's going to happen. If it's possible, it will happen. Someone will do it. And then once someone does it, lots of people will do it. Or if lots of people don't do it, machines will do it. (laughs) So, you know, it's good for us to think about this. Make the friendly ones so that we don't have a whole bunch of Borg.
4: And in conclusion, uh, work on this, y'all. Yeah.
3: We don't want the Borg. We don't want the Matrix. We don't want a whole bunch of benders running around saying kill all humans. (laughs) Uh, As charming as they are. I'd
4: be entertained by two or three benders, I've got to say.
3: Well you say that? But I bet you got a lot of stuff that's not bent around your house that you would like to keep not bent.
4: That's accurate. Okay,
3: so, yeah, I mean, it's it's we're having a lot of fun with this discussion, but it's actually a serious one that's going on with a lot of people from all sorts of different fields, lots of different disciplines.
1: Yeah, I'd say that I think some people are inclined not to take this topic seriously, precisely because of some of the very legitimate warnings we mentioned earlier. Be careful of things that are too much fun to argue about. I mean, it is true that this is all speculative and and people can kind of jump into this discussion without really knowing all that much about science or technology. I mean, look at us. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But that doesn't mean it's not worth talking about. I I, I think these these concerns are pretty legit in in terms of what they've said about better safe than sorry.
3: Yep. I, I totally agree. And so that kind of wraps up this discussion about the friendly A.I. And. If you've guessed that we haven't finished talking about AI, you're right, because it's just it's an enormous topic. It's multidisciplinary. There's lots of different things to talk about. There are a lot of practical challenges that face us right now. And the more you know about those practical challenges, the more you probably side with those of us who say that this uh this world of the superhuman intelligent machine, as we have defined it in this episode, is probably a ways away Uh, but if you have any suggestions for future topics on forward thinking, maybe there's something that you've always wanted to know about, some futuristic technology that you've wondered, is that actually possible? Write us, let us know that you want us to talk about. We'll be glad to research it and have a full episode for your listening pleasure, but you have to let us know first. So send us an email. Our address is fwthinking at discovery.com or drop us a line on the social networks what we visit. That would be Google Plus, Facebook, and Twitter, and the handle is FW Thinking, and we will talk to you again really
2: soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com.
1: Brought to you by Toyota.
0: slash iHeart.